Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunding community. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? You guys doing all right? Hopefully you guys are all getting the capital you guys need to get your projects off the ground. So I'm very excited about today's episode. And I'm only going to talk for a little bit here because I want to jump into it because I think there is a ton of valuable information. So on today's episode, uh, I got a chance to interview Lisa Tomeo and uh, her uh, Kickstarter campaign is uh, Scholar. And it's a, uh, it's a smart collar for small dogs and cats. And she's currently over on Kickstarter right now. So I'm going to recommend guys go check that out if you've got a small pet, cat or dog. And, and, and check out this campaign and see about how to make your pets uh, smart, even smarter than they already are. Um, but in this conversation, Lisa uh, has a great background um, uh, out in the Silicon Valley area f- uh, with venture capital and it's just starting businesses. So I think this interview is one of my best ones. There's a ton of great info in terms of how to be thinking about you know your campaigns and presenting yourself and just business in general. So that's going to be coming up in a little bit here. So um, just going to give you guys a quick update on a few things here. So uh, yeah, got my first webinar starting tomorrow at 12 o'clock. If you are interested in joining that, go over to fuzzywenzel.me and register. And we are going to be going through a couple hours of crowdfunding. So sign up for that. Um, That's going to be a new thing. It's going to be my first one of this year and um, definitely still tweaking some stuff. I've been working on it for the last few weeks here. And I think it's, I think it's okay. I think, well, you know, I think it's good. There's definitely a ton of information on it. I just want to tighten it up a little bit. So that's going to be happening tomorrow. So like I said, fuzzywenzel.me, scroll down, step two, sign up for the webinar. And then I'll see you guys all tomorrow at 12 o'clock. So I got that coming up. I've been working on that a ton. I'm also completely sleep deprived right now. So I probably sound a little bit like I'm crazy. And why am I sleep deprived? That's because my kids are constantly sick. I'm going bonkers with the sickness. They never sleep. They're constantly snotting. They constantly have ear infections. They're constantly on antibiotics. So my wife today just signed them up for chiropractor. We're going to try this. We have tried everything. Straight up, I think we've tried everything. So we're going to go with this route because I don't know what's going on. I was up with my daughter like 10 times last night. I I don't know how I'm functioning half the time. There she is. I don't know if you heard it in the background. There's a cough. I don't know if you know. I don't know how I'm functioning. I'm probably sleeping in chunks of two hour, hour and 45 minutes to two and a half hours. Those are the chunks of time I'm sleeping. And my daughter's sleeping the same way. So she's also, you know, just a pleasant, pleasant peach right now. It's chaos in the Wenzel household. Chaos, I tell you. But I got the webinar done. You know, well, like I said, I mean, I, I've got, I have it built, so that that feels pretty good. So, <sighs> been having a, a bit of a back and forth with a with somebody. Oh, we don't want to get into it. In regards to why I I talk about curated content, and I want to take a moment just to talk about why we do this and. If you see what I do here is I have kind of an 80-20 rule, 70-30 rule that I, I try to implement with everybody, myself, including my clients, where I'm trying to find the hot new things to share out through my networks, things that relate to myself, things that relate to me as a business owner, things that relate to me as an entrepreneur. And what I find is, is that if I'm 
you know, sending out good content consistently, things that are being shared and read and liked wherever on whatever platform is that I have a higher chance for my my personal content or my sales pitch stuff, my sales type of content to get sold. And I think this is a strong strategy. So I've posted, you know, so I've got like a curated content strategy and I'm getting some, some kickback from this and I don't understand why. You know, you're trying to share and you're trying to put yourself into the personal brand of your business. And I think this is what most big companies struggle with. This, you know, so when I see a big company, you know, whatever, Coca-Cola or whatever, I think they're constantly trying to find a way to put that human element in it. The great thing for a small business is that you have, you are the, you you can put your personality into it. You're not based on just a logo or a brand, and that's that's why I think people are thinking about social media completely incorrectly. You've got to think about it as relationships. You're giving and taking. It's a two way street. So sometimes on a Tuesday, you got to give just really cool things that you might have found. And then you know what? On Tuesday afternoon, a couple hours later, then you can send out your post. If it's a one-way street and you're constantly just sending out your stuff and you, 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 nobody's listening. That's broadcasting. That's not what social media is. And I think that's the disconnect I keep seeing over and over and over with, with not only just clients but conversations I'm having and, and just the overall mindset of social media. It's a two-way street, people. Do you want to be just talked to all the time, pointed at, talked down to? No, you want to have back and forth. You want to have give and take. So that's where I see curated content as being a part of the strategy. Is it the only strategy? Of course not. You know, we're talking about 20% of the pie, 15% of the pie here. We're not talking about the whole thing. You know, so I think it's important to stand back and really look at what you're sharing. And if you're constantly sharing stuff about you and your company, then you're doing it wrong. And that's why I love going out and finding, you know, I use a tool called Feedly, uh, almost as my newspaper. That's where I'm finding, you know, consistent information, or not information, that's the wrong term, consistent content that I think fuels what people who follow me would think. So again, I have an exercise called expanding my audience, right? You know, so I, I look at my subculture. So I'll take a guy like me. Here's my subcultures, right? I love I, sports is a subculture, so I'm constantly listening here. I'm in the Detroit area, so I listen to uh, talk radio. Uh, I like Michigan football. I, I, you know, like most people know, I'm, I'm still in the music business to a degree. I got my toe still in there with live sound, so I'm constantly looking at audio gear, sharing out stuff like that. So, th- you know, those are my crossover, you know, I, I, oh, self-help books. I forgot about that. Self-help books meaning, you know, how to run businesses, marketing books. You know, those are, those are another uh, you know, another crossover, right? So I have these crossovers that allow me to talk about other things besides myself 24-7. Um, so I think if you follow me, I think you'll see a good example of that. I have, you know, I had a great post the other day from, you know, the this vertical forest that Asia's building. I think it was a very intriguing thing. I think it was cool. I got, a, I got you know, a healthy amount of likes. I got some shares. You know, that just, that just continues to make it continues to have me on people's minds, right? That's our ultimate goal, mind share. That's what I'm talking about here, people, mind share. And that can't, constantly can't come from you. You can't create that 24-7. And that's why I look at curated content as a strategy. And again, it's not the whole pie. It's just a little bit of it. Just a little bit of it. And it's easy. Man, I do it every day for five to 10 minutes. It's like reading my newspaper. I grab my newspaper. If I see something I like, boom, I send it out to my buffer and I move on with my day. It's not a major thing. So, all right, that's enough of me ranting about that. It's just been something that's kind of been sticking in me a little bit, sticking in my craw, you know, making me angry. 
that's not even angry. That's the wrong word. I'm, I'm just talking. I'm just ranting. So let's go ahead. Let's get into my conversation because I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to waste anybody's time here because there's going to be some great stuff coming up uh, uh, from Lisa, and I think you guys put your put your listening ears on. Right? She's going to talk about a lot of amazing things here. So, but let me just continue with my follow. Remember, if you want to sign up for my webinar, if your crowdfunding campaign is poopy. You might want to sign up for that. Spend, spend a couple hours with me on Friday, 12 o'clock. Go to fuzzywenzel.me and you can register. Um, yeah, it's simple. And you, all you got to do, if you, if you have some internet connection, you can, you can tune in. Tune in. You can also send me your, if you've got questions or if you've got a campaign you want me to look at, you can send it to you at the end. I'm going to do a, a Q&A at the very end of it. Uh, after that, you know, if that's not good enough, make sure you sign up for our community. If you don't want to do the webinar, come join our community on um, uh, on Slack, how to get to that? Woodshed.agency. You go there and you just go up to the right. It says join our community, sign up, and we'd love to have you in there talking about crowdfunding. So, those are my pitches. That's all I got. So let me go ahead and kick my conversation with Lisa from Scholar Mini. I see you over there looking, looking kind of good. All right, Lisa. Moment of truth. I hit the record button. <laughs> We're in. It's on. Yeah. Yeah. So no pressure, but this needs to be the greatest podcast interview of all time. So you ready to do I'm, it? I'm ready, Jeff. I'm ready. Let's do this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about why you're on Kickstarter and what you're raising money for? We are on Kickstarter because um, we have our product, Scholar Mini, which is the first open platform smart collar that actually enables you to have multiple functions in one collar, whatever actually the pet parent needs. And Kickstarter is an amazing place to introduce products to people who are um, ready to take that leap with you at an, at an earlier stage. Um, so yeah, it, and it's been, the response has been tremendous so far. That's awesome. So I'll let my listeners know. I mean, it looks like you're at this point, you've doubled your, uh, yes. your goal amount and you've got 20 days to go. So, so you're going in the right direction, which is awesome. Yep. Cool. So maybe let's, let's uh, talk a little bit more about actually what the Scholar Mini is and, okay. and, and why would I need one? Well, first of all, Jeff, do you have any pets? I well, I used to have a Yorkie. I had uh, Miss Madeline Francis for fifteen Aww. years. Unfortunately, once I had children, she needed to go to a retirement home because she was a little snippy. She was going blind. Oh, uh, so and we are in that position now where I think we're getting real close to having a, to getting another Yorkie. It's, this is the the I've gone three years without a dog. This is the longest time of my life. So, a uh, huge dog owner. I've always been up until the last three years. Uh, the small right. children changed my form my uh, my life a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, we also have uh, pets. We have a golden retriever who's sitting next to me um, and a um, two cats. And uh, we also, at the time we first started Scholar, had um, a couple of teenagers living at home still. Now, now they're both in college. So um, we had to um, do things like text one of our daughters in high school to find out if she'd fed her cat. Uh, because right. cats are notorious liars, especially ours. And he would say, nobody ever feeds me. Um, and so he'd get second and third breakfast. And, and, and so we, 
you know, that was one of the impetuses. Um, we have an invisible fence for our golden retriever because he likes to jump on the fence. Um, and uh, it, it's a, a separate collar. Um, we had a cat die on us because she had congestive heart failure. We found out only a few days before she passed. And all of mm. these things are real issues that pet owners deal with. Yeah. Um, but they all require a different technology. So we said, why don't we create something that can do all of it for the pet owner? And um, my husband and I are longtime business partners. This is our fourth company. Our first company was a software company that we sold to Autodesk. And one of the things that we did in that company uh, green building studio was create an open source platform for people that has since become an industry standard for architects and engineers for um, building science and building design. So we said, let's do the same thing here. Let's create a, a smart collar that can um, expand to be whatever the pet owner needs at whatever stage their pet is at. And then we said, well, there's nothing on the market for small dogs and cats. So let's start there. That's the hardest spot. Mm-hmm. And then we said, because we're software people and we were completely naive, we said, how hard could this be? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so two years later, we finally had the working prototype. We launched it at CES and, um, and then not a Kickstarter. But, but basically what it is, is it's a smart collar that is, um, has GPS in it. It has an extended range Bluetooth. It has uh, LED lighting and a buzzer for breakaway, uh, has a breakaway latch for cats. And it also has a tappable screen. So hmm. going back to my um, story about the cat lying, now I set up all the reminders on my app, the Scholar app, for feeding, flea and tick treatments, medicine, and then the caller will remind me or, or whoever multiple people are taking right. care of the pet. If I feed the cat in the morning, I triple tap on the collar, dismiss it, and then when the cat comes begging a little bit later, I can just look on the collar and, and know that, the cat's up to date on everything. So it has all of those sort of daily reminders and things. And then the other piece that we built into it is uh, because it's built on an open platform, it has little modules that slot in. You can expand the collar with these different modules that will enable you to do uh, uh, open the pet doors and the, uh, operate the pet mm. feeders and um, operate uh, the um, communicate with the invisible fence and... Um, anti-bark and training, all of those pieces. And in fact, we have one module that we've created already, which is a perimeter barrier package, which is a vibration module. So let's just say you're a little Yorkie. You don't want that guy up on the couch. Um, You put the vibration module in the collar. You put the beacon on the couch, under the couch, under a cushion. When the, um, the pet gets close to the couch, it vibrates and beeps and scares them away. So it trains them away from these areas that you don't want them on, like the kitchen counter, which our cat right. loves to get up on. So mm-hmm. ultimately, Scholar Mini, and then our, we're making the medium and large dog collar now, they are um, whatever you need them to be because they have base functionality with all the sensors and the um, IMUs and the gyroscopes and all that, but they have the ability to be expanded into the, you know, the, the various daily, you know, um, practical needs that pet owners have. Sure. Wow. That's a lot of stuff packed into a collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it was a lot more, we bit off a lot more than we realized when we said, oh, how hard could this be? Yeah. Yeah. We've got a pretty big team working on it. That's cool. Well, well this maybe, uh, I think this is a good question that I have right now for you. So 
over the last couple of years, what's been the biggest pivot you had to do, you, you know, or something you just, you know, hey, you wanted to have it, but you couldn't do it or cost wise, or just, was there any sort of major roadblock that you had to, had to fight through? One of the things that I think, um, people that move into hardware discover quickly, especially if they've been in software. And we see this a lot in the Silicon Valley, um, is that it's much more expensive to create something uh, that is actually a, a product than it is to do a software piece, mm-hmm. you know, an app or a, or a SaaS tool or whatever. Um, and so we figured out in the very beginning, we're like, okay, we'll put this much money in because we self-funded it. And uh, we'll put this much in and that'll be it. And then we got to that threshold and we're like, well, we're just now getting some headway. We got to keep going. So for us, one of the biggest surprises was that we just had to stay committed to it, and um, it, it was a lot more expensive than we thought. And then when you um, create something and test, when you want to go back and then update, it's not you can't just change some code like right. you can with an app, right? And, and then re-release it through the, through the app stores. You actually have to go back and um, make another prototype. So right. it just, it takes a lot longer and it costs a lot more. That was the biggest surprise for us. But I, I don't think we're alone in that. I think every person that does mm-hmm. hard work comes across that. Oh, so wh- where are you located? We are actually an hour north of San Francisco in Santa Rosa, which is the wine country. It's beautiful up here. Nice. And, and what's the kind of the entrepreneur community? I mean, it seems like you, you've got to have Silicon Valley at least somewhere in the back pocket a little bit. But, but what's, the, like, what's it like for resources for you? Well... To your point about you know the Silicon Valley and having that in our pocket, we are all over the Bay Area with our team. Um, we work with Spanner Product uh, Development, who did um, all the Fitbits, okay. and they're down in San Jose. Uh, we've worked with Proto Cafe for our prototypes, and they're in Milpitas. We work with Enlisted Design for our branding and, and industrial design, and they're over in Oakland. So we are tapped into the entire San Francisco Bay Area, San Jose, Silicon Valley community. Um, but up here in the wine country, you know, a lot of people come up here because it's a lifestyle area. Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs up here, um, but it's not the same kind of entrepreneurial community that you might find in San Francisco where it's more dense mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, you can throw a rock and find another accelerator. Here, people are also very targeted towards specific industries like agriculture, food and beverage, wine, uh, biotech. Uh, clean energy. So, in fact, one of my other roles is I'm a, the chairman of Soco Nexus, which is an incubator accelerator program here in the wine country. Oh, so, awesome. we have a different kind of a way that we have to attract people because of the fact that the resources are a little bit different up here than they would be in, in uh, Silicon Valley areas. So, people kind of are dotted around Sonoma County, and uh, the outreach is a little bit, you know, more stringent to, to find them because they come up here for the lifestyle. It's, it's sure. more agrarian, and, and this is a little bit harder in that way, but we're definitely pushing a lot, you know, because we want to reach all those entrepreneurs up here. Right. Awesome. So I was also thinking too, over the last couple of years, maybe a follow-up to my question a second ago was, what, what was the moment where maybe some of the stuff started to click together or oh. that moment where you're like, this is at, oh, it's actually working. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. this is, this is going to happen. Yeah, we actually had a, an interesting bump in the road uh, because we had to, to change out some of our team in October and we had already signed up and got, we had gotten accepted to be at Eureka Park at CES. Um, we have our core team of six people and we were like, you know, ready to go. And uh, the, the first iteration 
to create the first working alpha didn't work. And um, we were all of a sudden like, you know, that awful moment when, when you just feel like, you know, your whole body gets cold. Uh, and so then we got introduced to Spanner and they literally just swooped in and helped us make some key changes, um, literally what seemed like seconds before CES. So we got the first working protos um, actually in November and December. And it was at that moment that we did a collective cheer and thought, oh, thank heavens, wow. it actually does work. And then we, <laughs> we put those darn collars through the ringer at four full days at CES, you know, tapping on them and showing them to people, thousands of people, four days in a row all day long. And they worked beautifully. So for us, that was a, a huge um, success. But that was, you know, pr- a little bit too close to that launch deadline where sure. we actually said this really works. I mean, we've had some smaller victories like the firmware and the app and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But integrating the app with the firmware and then seeing it work on the collar, um, that was the moment where we thought, oh, wow, this is we're really onto something here. And, and we got really excited. Yeah. What kind, what kind of impact do you see from um, uh, from the trade show world or, you know, the uh, CES? Like, like, do you think that that's something that other entrepreneurs should make sure that they're getting their products into, into the trade show, trade show world? For us, we went straight to the biggest one where tech is actually, especially new, uh, innovative, upcoming tech is accepted and um, promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went straight for, for a Eureka Park, which was amazing. So many interesting things coming out there. And, and I would absolutely suggest that people who are doing innovations do CES and try to get in Eureka Park because we talk to thousands of people and whether they were media people, um, industry people, attorneys, distributors, manufacturers, um, just consumers, uh, everybody was able to share with us on the same level of if they have a pet and they love that pet, they, we would get into conversations with them. So it was as though we had the most potent focus group ever. Mm. Um, you know, you can't buy that kind of, of, of diversity and just plain old conversation with people. Sure. I, mean, I would just ask people the second they showed any interest, I'd say, come on over. You want to talk to me? Do you have a pet? And then we'd start having, you know, I, People would show me pictures of their pets on their phones, and they would tell me their stories. So for us, the the ability to talk to that diversity of people in such a, 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 a tight, focused environment gave us tremendous insight. I would absolutely suggest that people go do it. We are looking at some other um, trade shows, you know, the pet industry shows as well. Um, we'll be you know, looking at some of those maybe later this year and into next year as we continue to develop. But I do think that CES was the perfect launching pad for us. I was really pleased with it. The whole team was. Yeah, that's the sound, sounds like a good experience, especially just being open to feedback and, mm-hmm. and just the, that conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Uh, where did you grow up? Well, I'm originally from Texas. Okay. Uh, but I was a little kid when I, I moved to Southern California. I literally grew up in the Long Beach area, then lived in Huntington Beach for a while. But I've been in the San Francisco Bay Area for well over 20 years. Um, it's really my home. Um, lived in San Francisco for a long time. And, and we've been in the wine country for about 15 years. We raised our kids here. 
and uh, really like it. So I'm a California kid. And and my husband, who's our CTO, he was raised, born and raised in California in uh, Davis. So we're both California kids. And what did your parents do? Well, my dad was a chemical engineer and worked for um, oil services industry for many, many, many years. And my mom was uh, a real estate agent. I think she still does that and, and also would write articles in, in the local paper. Um, my uh, dad also was uh, an entrepreneur and started his own company and he got laid off uh, from the company that he worked at. And, you know, took the golden handshake and started a company, and he's been running it on his own for 20 years. So my whole family on my dad's side were all entrepreneurs. And uh, so it was an easy leap for, for me to, you know, step into this uh, entrepreneurial role. I've been an entrepreneur most of my adult life. So, well, what, what do you think was that moment where you, you, you understood the entrepreneur side and, and just started to actually trust maybe their instincts like, hey, I actually am an entrepreneur, you know, maybe because I think you got to go against the grain for a little while there of like, no, I think I can do this on my own. Or were you encouraged or, you know, what, what, what was behind the scenes? I think honestly, Jeff, every new venture you learn, you get a whole new master's degree in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, this has been the hardest one because in the other entrepreneurial ventures we've been in, I've, I've played more of a secondary role. I've been like managing partner or I've been in the finance department or whatever. But this one, we as a team decided I would be the CEO. And, and in the beginning, I will say that I thought, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have the chops to do this. But what I've figured out along the way as I've dealt with uncomfortable situations and conversations and keeping the team motivated, I've come to realize that it's all in there. I just have to access it. And I jokingly say that my only job at, uh, in this particular role as the CEO of Scholar is to drive the bus. Um, my job is to keep everyone on the bus and keep the bus moving forward. <laughs> and But it's an apt metaphor because literally when things start to falter or the bus starts to break down or someone wants to get off the bus, it's my job to get out of the seat, go talk to that person and make sure that we can keep going. And and I've, I've built up a lot of confidence in this role just by getting into that mud over and over again and having mm-hmm. those uncomfortable conversations and, and just saying – stay with me here. You know, this is what I need from you. Can I get this out of you? Um, and, and there really is no substitute for that. I've just had to dive in and, and trust that I'm not going to drown. And I've figured out now, Hey, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Um, but each one again is different, you know? Sure. Uh, so, th- but this has been the hardest one I would say. That's that. Yeah. That it's all, it's all learning. You know, always got to be open to learning and, uh, and pivoting and, uh, and trying your best, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> And that's the thing also, your, your, your point about pivoting is there's a certain amount of flexibility that everyone in the company needs to always have, yep. especially me, um, because I'm surrounded by very, very talented technical people. Mm-hmm. And, um, there, I, you know, I have been sitting in on those conversations for two years now and I don't know anything about electronic engineering, but I've learned an awful lot. And, right. and I've, and I've asked dumb questions like, well, what does that mean? And how do you do that? And why does that work like that? And they've entertained those questions, which means that I'm well versed in speaking to the more technical parts of the company. And I sure. think that any entrepreneur, you know, to be effective, you need to not just know your own role, but you need to actually understand what the rest of your team is doing so that you can sit in their shoes a little bit and 
and actually uh, encompass and hold within that circle of knowledge what everyone is doing. And I sure. think that's also made me better as a, as a leader for the team. Yeah, yeah, that all makes sense. So outside of Kickstarter being just a great platform, what, were you ho- what are you hoping to get out of a successful campaign besides the money? Yes, the money's nice. Yeah, but, but, sure. But, but I think Kickstarters can do a whole bunch of stuff for, for a young company and a young idea. So what are you hoping to get out of it? For us, uh, and I'll speak to you as an, as an investor too, because I'm an angel investor and have been for a long time. Um, it's a lot of it's about market validation. And if you talk to VC and angels, they will say to you, how do you know that people want your product? Mm-hmm. And Kickstarter, Indiegogo, a lot of these crowdfunding, crowdsourcing portals have enabled people with a working prototype or a working app or a film idea or a book idea or an art project to actually go out and, and learn. Do people like this? Um, it, it's, a, it's a much quicker, easier way to understand what people think of your product. I answer everyone's messages every single day, every single pledge, I answer their message, and then they will inevitably email me back and say, oh, by the way, I have a question. So all of that feedback is real, and it, and it gets to the core of what people actually want. So I get not only the market validation, but I get to understand where my customers are at. Mm-hmm. I we didn't go into Kickstarter thinking we're going to raise all the money to you know to be able to, right. to manufacture the product because it's expensive. Um, you know, I'm already out there on the circuit trying to raise the the bigger round so that we can mm-hmm. finish this and and get this product to market. Um, for us, really, it was about the exposure with press too. We've been picked up by um, outlets all over the world. Yeah, I saw that you've had a lot of good press. Yeah, our customers have come from all over the world too, and um, you know, and so I'm noticing that more interesting and higher caliber press is starting to see us and pick us up too. And that was another goal of ours was to just make people aware of the brand and what we're doing and, and, and really um, communicate the idea around what scholar is and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So I think you're going to be the perfect person to uh, give me some advice maybe for myself here is uh, early on. So one of my, my previous company, we had some VC money and a lot of the conversations were, and this is still early in Kickstarter. This is like 2013, 2014 is that angel investors in VC were actually frowning upon it that, like they had this idea that it was, you know, they wanted to be so first to the game to make the big, huge bucks that they didn't understand how Kickstarter fit into the equation. And right. we kept saying everything. We, we actually were saying everything you just said. No, we're right. proving. We're proving. Yeah. We're proving. Do you feel like that's changed um, in, in terms of the angels' eyes and investors' eyes and VC? Like, no, Kickstarter, you should go do that before you come talk to me. Do you, do you feel like that might be happening? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's what I hear with my angel buddies, um, some of which have done pre-order, some of which have done crowdfunding. Um, one of the first things you'll hear from angels in VC is, have you done a crowdfunding campaign? Have you vetted mm-hmm. your market? So absolutely, yeah. it's, it's definitely changed. The other side of the equation has come true to pass as well, which is, you know, you see um, this renaissance of hardware in the United States with, um, or globally, in fact, with uh, these platforms. I've got this great idea. I've got a great, you know, 3D model. Uh, I'm going to make this. Uh, And a lot of people put their campaigns up there without building the infrastructure in the background. And so a Mm -hmm. lot of people have crashed and burned. And a lot of the backers have have been kind of caught up in that, um, you know, downward spiral. So Kickstarter made a change and they won't put you up on the platform unless you actually can show you have a working prototype, which is smart on their part. Very smart. 
because people want to know that they can depend on you to actually deliver this to market. And, um, and so it's, it, it's become more reputable because everybody's learned along these last couple of years what did and did not work with these platforms. But I definitely hear that because uh, I'm on the board of directors for North Bay Angels and on the screening committee. And, and when we sit in that room and we, we you know, talk about who we're going to put forward, you know, these young companies who we're going to put forward to the membership, we do talk about how have they validated their market and the crowdfunding, crowdsourcing mm-hmm. um, equation definitely plays into that. Yeah, it's uh, good. I'm I'm glad that the that it's changing because it never made sense to me. And I was like, well, this doesn't make sense. I know I'm proving I'm proving stuff. I'm proving, yeah, you know, right, right. Well, out, and, you know. and, and keep in mind, Jeff, that the innovators, you, you and I, that are out there, like just you know breaking stuff and trying to make stuff happen. Yeah are a little bit different than the the investors who want the return, right? And, yep. and I feel bal- uh, blessed to have both sides of this as an investor and an innovator. I understand both sides of this equation. But, you know, investors are incredibly risk-averse people. They yeah. want the return, and they're going to run you ragged. That's what the due diligence process is, is designed to do, is expose, you know, the risks so that they can circumvent them. So, yeah, it would, it would make sense that early on, a lot of investors would be a little bit nervous about it, um, but it's just too big of a force to be ignored now. Oh yeah! Oh totally! Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it, it's. I mean, I, I, this was the first year that even for myself, and I mean, I've been doing this. I, I actually had my first campaign on Kickstarter about a, a month after it started, so I've ran three hundred of them. It, I've done wow. a lot, but this was my this was my first year where uh, I think seventy percent of my Christmas gifts all came from Kickstarter. Like I just <laughs> I, all my kids' gifts, my wife's gifts. I was just like. You know, yeah. and, and and it was probably the best feeling I've had. I you know I was still shopping online. I didn't go to a, a you know big box retail, but right. all my presents had like a you know um, personality and you know yes. there was there was no throwaway gifts. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I think it's not just the VC and angel world that's taken notice. It's the distributors and the manufacturers and the mm-hmm. um, resellers. Um, we've been approached by lots and lots and lots of these people already who are, you know, just keeping tabs on us and, yep. and where we are in the process because they found us, not just at CES, but also on Kickstarter. So I think yep. it's become a, a very important part of the innovation process, which mm-hmm. I think is exciting because like you, I'm always kind of perusing and seeing what's out there. I've backed a bunch of campaigns and um, I, I, it's... It, it's exciting for me as an innovator to see what people are, are uh, able to come up with. Oh yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> That's why I love yeah. all these conversations. I just, <laughs> I, the, the stories are always amazing. You know, I yeah. just love, you know, so, uh, so let's flip a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter, which, you know, why we're on the, uh, on the old call here. And uh, so what was the overall marketing strategy um, that you decided to work on before you launched? We, of course, talked about it at CES. Um, we got the little card reader thing, which was pretty cool. Pe- most people didn't realize that on the back of their CES badges is this little uh, RFID. And so you could hold a little card reader up to their badge and, and add them to your mailing list. Oh, so wow. So we would just tell them, look, we're doing the Kickstarter January 24th. Can we let you know? Yeah, sure. Beep. You know, and so that was one of our efforts. We, we um, almost doubled our mailing list by doing that. Um, Uh, social media, of course. Um, And then we have a PR firm that we have been um, doing, having them do outreach specifically to tech outlets, because Mm -hmm. 
um, early adopters are generally more tech-focused people. Uh, we will be reaching out to lifestyle folks as well. Um, but the other thing that I have found fascinating, and you'll know about this too, having run uh, crowdfunding campaigns, is um, when you launch a campaign, all of a sudden everyone comes out of the woodwork. All of these clubs that have super backers yeah. in them, um, you know, people that, that have websites that promote new and innovative products. We ended up on a, a, a site in a Japanese uh, uh, website that showcases new products, and that led to us being on CNET in Japan. Oh, um, wow. So, all, you know, these are people that are like, seriously looking and so once i i clicked on one link and then all of a sudden i thought i need to go find out who the rest of these folks are and so i started doing my own reconnaissance around who where did these early backers live and um we also worked with a company called funded today Mm -hmm. they um made the video for us they built the campaign for us and they've been a partner for us the entire time um, because they've run a lot of successful campaigns. And I think, you know, for us, it was important for us to launch quickly and, and scale quickly in terms of, of um, notoriety and press. So we didn't want to bumble around with, well, maybe if we do the campaign this way or like make right. it look that way, we wanted to go to people who had already had success with certain, you know, style sheets and, and looks and feels and uh, photographic things and perks. So we've been really happy with them funded today. Um, but, but a lot of it has just kind of come in the midst of the campaign, like, Oh, this is going to be another great channel. Okay. I'm going to go after it. Um, we will be doing personal outreach to, you know, specific people that write about pet wearables and pet tech, um, and, uh, just continuing to try to get the, the, the press out there. And then the other thing is we have some specific strategic announcements that we're planning on making throughout mm-hmm. the campaign to, you know, to keep people interested. And, and I think, you know, I worked in the performing arts for years and it's the same thing when you launch a show like that first, you know, couple of days is like lots of people buying tickets, especially if it's a, a you know, a really top-notch performer and then there's this lull right you know it's that, mm-hmm. that that ticket sales lull or the kickstarter lull and then you have some other cool news and you have a spike again and then there's the lull and so it's the same thing you know and, and then at the end like those few days before the end it's like don't miss out get your tickets right, right. And so you know we'll be doing that as well like making sure at the end we're really pushing all sorts of really interesting stuff and um because that we expect the lull where we are now but we have to keep driving the excitement and and we'll do it across all these various channels so correct me if i'm wrong but you really have like a a a three-pronged head here because you have the hardware then you have the app correct Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then and then what with it being open source i'm imagining that you're envisioning almost a community aspect in terms of people i don't know i i found a use that i'm doing here in my house i want to share it you know that appointments or something right so absolutely yes Mm-hmm. So, so when spinning those kind of three plates, how do you focus on the most important task in terms of like, you know, hardware's obviously got to be working. We don't want to let the app go. And then, oh, well, where's our community? We want to make sure that people are, are participating, right. um, you know, with this tool as well. So how, how do you find yourself focusing on that? The app and the caller have been developed exactly in tandem. Mm. Um, we, cause, cause, uh, John, our CTO is, um, a programmer and an app developer. So 
he started in on that on day one. Um, and then we started working with our industrial design team and our mechanical engineering team and our electrical engineering team at the same time, because the, the two of them have to cross communicate perfectly. Uh, yeah. And so we didn't want to start with one and then add one later and, and realize there were, you know, some, some protocols that we had missed out on. So those are the things we've been focused on. Um, building up the developer community, um, that is just now something that we're starting to take a look at. And the way that we're starting it is going after very specific partners right now um, that will help us create specific functionality. And then we'll begin to build out, you know, the, the, the larger community of developers. But we're actually having people message us through the campaign saying, I have this idea or I'm a developer, I'm really interested. Um, and so we're kind of hoping that some of that will begin organically as we show that we have the ability to do this. So people are starting to ask those questions. But we recognize that we have to drive it too. Uh, and that's why we're, we're going after some very specific partners to show like, we can unlock this functionality for you, pet right. owner with this partnership um, because that's what people want something that's going to be easy to use. And so our tagline is we make it caring for your pets as easy as loving them because ultimately that's the only thing that the customer cares about. So okay. that has been our core focus with the technology and the app. Um, and we actually um, launched the app long before we had the technology ready because we also reasoned that again, making caring for pets as easy as loving them includes training so sure, our, sure. our app that's, that's out there now on, on Android and iOS is, uh, aggregates all of the video content um, for pet training cats and dogs. I should say that opposite, dogs and cats, <laughs> uh, for um, training, uh, you know, sit, stay, heal, uh, kitty, litter box training, fetch. Um, and and you, once you create your profile in the app, then you can go out and say, well, I want to learn this today. And it will show you a listing of all the video content out there and you can rank it. You can favorite it to come back to later. If you don't like it, you can poop on it and it will never show up in your feed again. <laughs> and, and then what happens is, as more and more people use the app, the content that's ranked more highly rises to the top. So then the other piece of this, which we haven't talked about yet is all of the data we're collecting in the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. We have a cloud service so we can look at how people train their pets, what works best across what kind of pet, you know, do terriers work best with these kinds of training methods? Mm -hmm. um, and then as we build out the base of functionality and users, then we can say like, oh, well, you know, lots of uh, pet owners like this kind of pet food or they feed these hours of the day or, you know, they're using this kind of flea and tick medication more than the others because they're putting that information in the app to help them remember. And ultimately, you know, the, the biggest partners are going to be the ones that, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Whistle, they were just purchased by Mars and Mars has a big dog food area. Um, and so there's a lot of information that now can be shared among Whistle and, and Mars about, you know, the pet health through feeding. Right, so right. We're taking that, that same approach as well. And, and with our partners, we can then, you know, grab that data and help them um, improve what they're doing and improve what we're doing as a result because we're collecting all that data behind it. That's smart. So, so what does scale then look like for your company? Uh, well, ultimately, we would like to be the de facto caller that, that people come to um, because they will then understand that 
they can have whatever function they need uh, from a puppy all the way to an elder dog. Um, so we have some pretty big goals um, with, with how we want to grow the company. Um, you know, there's a photograph that we have um, of our golden retriever and he's wearing like six different collars. Mm-hmm. Uh, each does a, a separate thing. And, and we want um, pet owners to feel like we understand them and their needs. And so they would just reach for us um, instead of buying this collar and that collar and that one over there. Um, right. Because they know that um, not only can we serve whatever functions they have at whatever time, but also we can grow with them. And, and because the platform is open, if they have some funny thing they want to do, um, we can create that too, or our developer community can create that. So we we have some really big plans about yeah. how we would, you know, become the de facto smart caller um, on the market. It sounds like you got to use that bark training. I just I think I just heard <laughs> it in the background. <laughs> That's my boy Zuko. Yeah, I even have the door closed too. <laughs> he's a terrible guard dog though because he bar- he's got a big boy bark. But the second the robber would come in the house, he'd be like, "Let's play, let's yeah. play." <laughs> the treats are over here. Take me to the treats. Exactly. Exactly. Here's my ball. <laughs> Uh, that's that's hilarious. So you know, so uh, I, I've got to actually myself. I've, I've got a couple new clients that are getting ready to, to start in the hardware world. They're they're probably six to eight months out. They're more in the tech hardware world. You know, what advice do you give somebody to, that's kind of just starting out in prototyping and but they've got that idea that you know they're solving a problem. They've got an idea. What's that next step? Um, I, I what I've learned of late is there's more and more um, hardware incubators popping up all over the United States. Um, and I would, um, if I were starting again now, uh, go to those incubators and talk to them. Um, mm. Because one of the biggest challenges that hardware people face is finding talented people to actually help you go from the back of the cocktail napkin to something that works or, you know, even getting it in, in solid works, right. Um, uh, you've got to find those people that the, the, our VP of, of engineering, he was the ninth electric electrical engineer that we worked with. Um, and when we found him, we, you know, said, we really want you to be a permanent member of this company and, and, and brought him on. Um, and, 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 you know, go after the best people you can find, um, find out where those resources are and beg, you know, just get in there and say, look, I've got this idea. Here's what I'd like to do. Find Mm -hmm. out where the 3d printers are, find out where the makers labs are. Um, you know, at the incubator that we have up here, we we're getting ready to do our second makeathon because that's another thing that the people up here do a lot is they like to tinker with the, you know, the raspberry Pis and Arduinos and the, you right. know, the little robots and, and the 3d printing and stuff. So we're actually creating an, an innovation lab that has all of that. So for people that are just starting out, go find out where those places are, where, where you can, you, know, you can get soft molded stuff done, um, and where you can, you know, um, find a 3d printer to, to, to test your product out. Um, and then surround yourself with people that are doing hardware because they will help you very quickly, um, figure out if that idea doesn't make any sense at all. Um, uh, and then lastly, I would say, think about efficiency from the very beginning because you can come up with a really beautiful design and it can be wildly inexpensive or completely unmanufacturable. So mm-hmm. think about, like the real practical side of, okay, this is really cool looking, 
Um, but you got to get those right people at the table with you, people that have experience with manufacturing um, so that you can um, figure out quickly, uh, test and fail quickly, right? And, and, right, and right, if right. it's a pretty design, but it isn't manufacturable, get rid of it. You know, keep, keep yeah. um, iterating to what you can actually make. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we see in the manufacturing realm with people is that um, – they, they don't get to that practical information and those practical experts quickly. So that would be my first stop. So, so kind of just wrapping this up here, in the next year, what do you see for Scholar Mini? And then my second question is, what do you see then for tech in the next five years here in America? Hmm. Uh, Scholar Mini, the, the uh, plan is to get that in people's hands uh, at the end of the summer. Um, the other plan is to introduce our medium and large dog collar late spring, do another Kickstarter with that, and then deliver that early next year. Um, we have on the Kickstarter, we have a button for people to sign up for the medium and large dog collar announcements. And we have almost as many people have signed up for that mailing list as we have backers of the mini. Um, was there, so, was there any reason you started with small dogs and cats? Was there any particular reason? <laughs> you know, someone, one of our um, family and friends investors said to me, Lisa, why did you start with the hardest part? And I said, well, because it's the hardest part. <laughs> uh, there were two reasons, Jeff. One, there's nothing on the market for small animals. Yeah. And two, it's really from a circuitry perspective, it's the hardest place to start. So we... Mm had some really big challenges to work through and and we did that Um, we've proven that you can put all of that functionality in a in a small footprint so now when we're moving to the medium and large stock collar we've got tons of real estate to work with (laughs) Um, had we done it the other way around it would have been a lot harder in the long run for us so it was a strategic imperative for sure yeah Uh, and in terms of tech in the next five years what I would really love to see is a continued renaissance of more local-based manufacturing where you can have uh, give people the ability to prototype more quickly in the same way that you can with SaaS tools and app tools where you can test and fail quickly and, and, re- and iterate. Um, it, it's, be- it's becoming easier. One of the things I saw at CES was like um, – different types of 3D printing technologies where you can 3D print metal parts, not just your, you know, your layer-based uh, resins, sure. um, but, but you can get more fine-tuned with your 3D printing. Um, uh, different types of molding where you're using like a, 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 um, a rubberized uh, soft mold rather than going straight to steel. These will make it easier for people to get in more quickly and also think that there will be more... Um, innovation labs sprouting up where people can get in there and work with experts and work with these um, tools that help you um, uh, create prototypes much more quickly. That to me would be uh, an amazing leap forward for us. And I do see us moving in that direction. Um, I hope that that's the direction we continue to move uh, mm-hmm. because I, I, there's a lot of young people in high school and college right now, or just tinkerers that are eager to do these kinds of things. And, you know, millennials are different than, uh, and, and the generation that's followed them, which is my kids. Um, they like to do things on their own. They don't want to be part of the man, right? They, they right, like right. to do and innovate and, and create things. And so 
creating that infrastructure for them, I think, would really advance technology in the United States, particularly all over the world. You see that stuff popping up all over. So that's where I see tech going. And, and, and I would love to be a part of helping that happen. That's great. Well, Lisa, I think we did it. I think we made we the did. greatest podcast interview of all time. I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, to chat with me and my listeners. Thank uh, you you've so got a gr- Yeah, you've got a great campaign. You've got 20 days to go. I guess my last question is, what do you have, what's going on in the next 19 days? Any, any major uh, strategies that you're going to do to kind of keep this thing going? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're just going to have to stay tuned. We're hoping for a big announcement next week. We're just uh, fine-tuning that. And uh, we'll, you know, just continue to push out there and, and get more and more people to, to uh, you know, spread the word about what we're doing and, and get better and better press about what we're doing. And updates, you know, we're getting ready to do an update today where we're going to take people behind the scenes a little bit about some of our process. And, you know, we've got some cool pictures in there and a little video about some of our testing. You know, people like to see that sort of stuff. They want to take the journey with you. So we're definitely going to bring people along on that journey. But we've got some stuff up our sleeves, Jeff. Awesome. Well, great campaign. Uh, I'll be watching it from here. And uh, if I can talk my wife into letting me get a Yorkie, I'll buy, I'm going to buy a Scholar Mini, but uh, probably not going to happen this week. In the, in the spirit of it's better to ask forgiveness than, than permission, you could always buy the Scholar and say, look, honey, we're ready for the Yorkie. Yeah. Well, I, will, I, I might try that. I'll see what happens. Uh, but I'm not 100% sure right now. So. Well, good luck. (laughs) Cool, thanks. All right, Lisa, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you so much, Jeff. All right, how about that conversation with Lisa? I told you, I think she lived up. I think she lived up to the hype at the very beginning, right? The uh, can you you know. Oh, I got, look, I got dinging. I got Sean calling in here. I got to mute you, man. I got to mute you. I, I'm working right now. So, um, yeah, I think Lisa lived up to the hype in the beginning, right? Pretty good episode. So, so the song we're listening to right now is a song called The Finer Things, a song I wrote with my partners, uh, Jake and Unique back in the day. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of an interesting track. So I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Hope you had a great week. I hope your campaigns are doing well. Like I said, sign up for my webinar uh, tomorrow, 12 o'clock. Uh, we're going to spend a couple of hours deep diving into crowdfunding with tips, tools, and techniques and what we use here at Woodshed Agency. And uh, I hope to see you guys all there. And if not, see you guys on Monday. Looking for the real deal, somebody you can call on, lean on and make a team strong. When you're looking in the right direction, we can make the right connection. Just lean back and watch the lights reflecting. I'm only looking at your ass cause it's calling me. I ain't a front, I don't stunt, ain't no stalling me. I just want you to be all you can be when you need to be. Ain't no greed in me, ain't no greed in me.
Yeah. 